Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin. My name is Matt Bruskin. I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action, and welcome to another week from Wisconsin. We have our full panel, which means Jorna Taylor is across from me. Jorna's a nonprofit consultant here in Wisconsin. Jorna. Good morning. It's good to be back. It's good to be here, and I will want to hear from you an update on what happened at Pride Fest. But as always, Robert Craig, our Executive Director, is with us. Robert. Good day, everyone. So, welcome to sweaty, hot Wisconsin. We're definitely in the uh, throes of summer. So, Jorno, you know, in Milwaukee, it has become now kind of a rite of summer starting. Pride Fest last weekend. Just give give our listeners an update. I know uh, I went. It was awesome time. Uh, so, Pride Fest this year had record-breaking attendance. We had almost 38,000 people come through the gates awesome. for our 30th anniversary. Uh, it was a phenomenal weekend. I would actually honestly rank it up there in one of the best weekends of my entire life. Well, I was uh, able to attend with my wife, had a great time. appreciate you getting us some uh, backstage passes to see Harmar Superstar. That was He was so amazing. You, I told him was. that I stalk him on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> well, he I probably do. has a few stalkers. <laughs> I, I do want to bring up one thing. If you were unable to attend, if you were not one of the 38,000, put it on your calendar next year. It is a great time. And I got to say, it's probably one of the most diverse festivals in Milwaukee that I've been to in terms of who's there. It is racially, ethnically, right? You name it. The diversity there is incredibly impressive. Uh, Summerfest would certainly love to have the diversity of Pride Fest. So. And if I can just say, it's not just a party. While we do have eight stages with over 150 music acts, it's also an educational opportunity. We have a history exhibit. We have all sorts of things, children and family opportunities. So it's not just a party. So folks, get that on your calendar for next year. Uh, what, second week? or Second uh, weekend. Second weekend of June. So with that, though, we need to get back to our... Uh, what we actually talk about here, uh, uh, the latest issues of the day, and we're going to start and spend a lot of time actually this week talking about healthcare because there's a lot of news, and a, some of it's gotten out, um, but because all of the Comey talk, uh, it has sort of pushed it pushed healthcare off a little bit, and we really want to make sure that our listeners are fully aware of what's going on because a number of things are actually moving. Uh, and the uh, tragic shooting also uh, obviously uh, put health there off the front pages for a little while, too. Absolutely, so, yeah. and, f and, and of course, for obvious reasons. Um, we're not going to dive into depth on, on the shootings, uh, since I know there's been a lot of coverage. We're going we're gonna to push forward on talking about health care here. And the thing I wanted to start with, uh, Jorn, I actually want to talk to you because you're our Paul Ryan guy. Jorna, Paul Ryan... It's a rough week for him, and he didn't even have to say anything. But Donald Trump this week, when meeting with the Republicans in the Senate about health care, said that the House bill was mean. And that's actually what came out in public. There's a lot of rumors that he said much, much yes, more. He apparently said it was an SOB, but he spelled it out. <laughs> so, so explain this to me. Paul Ryan works his... But Butt off. Can we just go back to the fact that Trump said something was mean? Yeah. You know, Mr. Muslim ban, yes. Mr. You know, all the horrible things. I'm going to build a wall. So wait, I'm sorry. Now Donald Trump thinks that Paul Ryan is mean. I mean, karma? It's a little unclear to me. So folks, let's just kind of refresh ourselves. It was because it was, it seems a little bit a while ago, but I mean, 
remember, Paul Ryan worked very hard to try and pass that House bill. It, 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 they had to pull it once where they didn't have the votes. And it was Donald Trump who, like, sort of re-jump-started this, was all over the House Republicans, pressuring them, telling them they needed to do it. He was lobbying. And Paul Ryan And then had the after-party on the White House lawn. That said, it was an incredibly well-crafted bill. (laughs) It was great. I believe you used the term great. Bigly. Bigly great. Bigly great. Apparently someone briefed him on the bill since then. (sighs) But, but, I mean, so— You read it on Twitter. It's easy for us to stay focused on the Trump part, but back to our friend Paul Ryan. So, like, you worked your tail off going back. Remember he was shuttling back and forth to the White House where he was, like, literally sort of Trump's errand guy. I I have this image of of Paul Ryan holding, like, a bunch of papers, you know, clutched to his chest and it, like, flying around like a cartoon as he scurries to and fro. Uh, Look, I I think it's... Yes, sir. Very good, sir. Well, yeah, he carried Trump's water. You know, and this isn't the first time that poor Paul Ryan has been taken to task by uh, the president, you know, during the campaign and when the president has threatened him before. And now all of a sudden he's mean. It's a fascinating dynamic to watch. Well, it might have a little something to do with, I believe, the latest polling showed the uh, House bill at about 21% support. That might be it's on a good day. up from 17%. <laughs> from 17. Well, it probably <laughs> will God. be dropping this week after all the Trumpites hear that it's a mean, terrible, horrible bill. Uh, but look, this goes back to this situation Paul Ryan and, 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 and Republicans broadly are in. So if you're a senator sure. sitting in that meeting, what are you thinking? And like, you're Mitch McConnell, who's primary goal is to protect his caucus from political damage. And now, oh, well, the Trump's going to, if it goes badly, if we force this thing through in secret and people don't know what's in it, and then it, it goes, and then there's a lot of bad publicity about it, then the president's going to, like, literally saw off the plank and, you know, right? Send us into the ocean. Can we talk about this uh, gang of 13? Let's please do that. Let's talk about their diversity for just a minute. Mm-hmm. What um, it, men, I assume all men. I, I, all men. Um... I haven't actually looked at all the names, but I'm going to assume that it is a incredibly racially diverse yes. group of men. One could uh, could could snipe that it, it's representative of the modern conservative movement. One, one could. So we're so, not going to say it out loud here on this show, but we're going to let listeners draw their own conclusions. So what Jorna is obviously referencing by the thirteen is there is this secret group of thirteen senators, not sure who they all are, uh, who have been meeting clearly in secret. and well, we, we do know who they are. That's, well, how, that's, how, that's, that's how we know who well, they are. Yeah. We okay. think we know who they are. Right. If you guys remember, when, when uh, all of this started going uh, in this, moving in the Senate uh, about a month ago, Senator Ron Johnson seemed to imply that he was involved in the negotiating, that he himself was going to be central to this. Saying that he had joined the group. Yes. Okay, this is like not just hinting. So this week, though, Senator Johnson said he doesn't know what's going on, admitted their secret, seemed to be very concerned about what was going on. So it, it's, it's not fully clear to me. <laughs> the, the press reports are that the bill is mostly done. Ron Johnson is saying it's all secret and he's never seen the bill. So either they're lying about the bill being all done or Ron Johnson's not in the secret group or Ron Johnson's in it. And maybe can't understand the proceedings. I'm seriously, what do we, I mean, there, there, there are only a certain number of options here. <laughs> I'm sorry. We're talking about like the cool kids club 
of Republicans in the United States Senate. And Ron Johnson is not in that cool kids club, it appears. Well, so you're not you're 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 not you're coming down on he's not there and just isn't tracking. You well, think he's <laughs> he proved, you know, he proved to be such a legislative juggernaut with TPP that, you know, reading is reading comprehension is hard. So I'm going to vote that he's not in it. <laughs> so, look, this is while we're sort of obviously clearly joking a little bit here, it's cuz this is so critical, right? We're 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 restructuring a, th- a sixth of the America's American economy. Uh, and healthcare, we know, is absolutely vital and critical. But yet we're, we're, yeah, exactly. But yet we have this ridiculous process. I mean, what went on in the House was surreal, right? And so Mr. Ryan now is feeling the, I guess you'd say, the back blow on that with uh, Trump. Uh, and of course, terrible rating, CBO score comes out. So here we are in the Senate. They seem to be going down a very similar track in that there's very little public information. These are the folks that were very critical of the process for passing the Affordable Care Act, which had hearings, markups, endless kind of transparency. And it took a year, and that was terrible, according to them. So it just goes to show the only question they have, because they're about power, is whether they got what they wanted or not. They don't give a darn about process, and they're trying to figure out a process that could ram this through hell or high water. And unlike the Democrats, which, and I'd like to see Democrats be more forceful, quite frankly, but can you imagine the Democrats trying to force through something that has 21% support and has this level of uh, you know, publicity? Can you imagine it in the state or the federal level? No. And, and I think, look, the Affordable Care Act demonstrates that in the way the Affordable Care Act was probably, at least in the last decade that I can remember, the most discussed uh, piece of legislation. As you mentioned, it took over a year uh, and there were, I think, over 60 public hearings. There were amendments, all and kinds of things from both Repu- sides No of the Republican aisle. voted for it, but a number of Republican amendments were put yes. in to try to appease them. So Mr. Grassley and Ms. Snow, et cetera, ha- had parts of the law. Exactly. In fact, that was brought up this, this week, and uh, a number of uh, current Democratic senators were pointing out that this incongruity that we had a process where there were actually Republican amendments. And now this is not only do we not even have a process, it's completely secretive. We have no idea actually what's in the bill. We assume it's probably fairly close to the house, but you know, this is an insane process for how we're going to, as I said, restructure a sixth of the economy and provide basic health care to, to, you know, America. Well, it shows a complete disregard for the American people that they would even try to force something through this unpopular, then do it in a way uh, that no one can see and try to do it, try to get, make, you know, try to take advantage of the Comey situation, the session situation. Uh, We'll see if they're going to pause or not. We don't know. uh, Our radio listeners Sunday may know whether they're going to pause over the shooting or not. Currently, the House has paused business. That's at the time we're taping, and the Senate is not. So they might even be proceeding regardless of of, of that tragedy as well. Well, we got to get out of here. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. Uh, we are Citizen Action of Wisconsin. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Check us out. So we, before we left for the break, uh, we were talking health care. And um, 
We were talking a bit both about Paul Ryan and uh, Senator Ron Johnson. And again, we want to remind you, we need to keep the pressure up on Senator Johnson because, of course, the secretive plan could go public any day, and we need the pressure on him. So please uh, make sure you call Senator Ron Johnson's office. So, Robert, I wanted to talk a little bit more about Ron Johnson because we've talked a bit about how we have uh, organizing cooperatives throughout the state where we have members who are uh, be who belong to our organization and help fund organizers in, in different regions of the state. And the Green Bay Appleton area has an organizing cooperative and a number of our members uh, went and met with uh, Senator Ron Johnson to talk about health care, to talk about what was going on. And it sounds like there was some very interesting news that came out of that uh, meeting. Could you give our listeners a little more detail? So they met with uh, his, his state director. Yeah. Okay. And just before I say what they were told, they were told a number of things that, that were of interest to us, but um, the media is reporting right now, and there's great concern at the national level among healthcare advocates that they're forcing it through before this, this horrendous healthcare bill, before the 4th of July recess, that's virtually done, that it's, they're, going, they're, they're putting pieces out to this congressional budget office so they don't have to wait very long once it's public to just push it through. So that's what the media is reporting because that's their be what they're being told. And one congressional staffer, highly praised Senate staffer, when asked why they wouldn't make it public, responded, this was all over the media, we're not stupid, which again shows that disdain, right? But uh, Senator Johnson's district director, uh, offered a very different, strikingly different story. He said with great confidence uh, to our members that it was not going to pass. It, and the first, and, the, and if they're going to fast track it, do and do it now, it will not pass. It will lose both conservative votes on the right and it'll lose moderate votes. And that that is going to be, that's just going to be used in order to show where the Senate really is and that they tried, just kind of like the first House failure. I was going to say, it sounds a bit like round yeah. one at the House. But none of this is in the national media and discussion that they actually are going to take a failed vote deliberately. But that is what Senator Johnson's district director told our members with great confidence. He didn't just say, that's yeah, a possibility. He said, this is what's going to happen. So that's fascinating. Um, there was one other piece that was interesting. The, the staffer did admit that the House rammed it through, right? That was his own language to say that, uh, he, that the House rammed it through. So well, even, even the Republicans admit well, this the, is not... And we've a real known process. that from other contacts with Johnson's staff in Washington that there is no, there's no high regard among uh, Senate Republicans for the House and its process. And in fact, there's jealousy traditionally back to the beginning of the Republic between the two houses. So that's not a surprise. But the first argument you can make, it's like saying that we should do something in Wisconsin because Illinois did it. You see what I mean when you say, oh, the Senate should do this because the House did it. <laughs> so that attitude was also reflected. But the fascinating thing is, are they actually going to follow Trump's orders to do this right away, but know it's going to fail and do it anyway? That's, a, that's and, and in order to show where it is. That's fascinating. Well, look, again, the bottom line here is Senator Johnson is uh, clearly uh, conflicted, frustrated uh, with the secrecy, um, or at least articulating this publicly. So, again, please, please call. Keep pressure on. His number is 202 224 Five three two three. We cannot, er, you know, state enough that these calls do matter. Even if you're, you know, leaving a message, just having pressure on that office is, is and critical. And if you get a hold of him and you have any interesting interaction, let us know. All our staff contacts are on the Citizen Action of Wisconsin website. Uh, we're particularly interested if you get through to someone to ask 
how can Senator Johnson be on the group of 13 running the bill and say he hasn't seen the bill and it's all secret? So either he isn't really in the group of 13 or he is not telling us the truth about about the process and his knowledge of it. So it'd be fascinating to ask about that. But obviously the big thing is uh, why would he radically restructure Medicaid so there are going to be massive cuts to seniors, people with disabilities, and kids and, yo and young families need health care? Uh, why does he want to uh, uh, change the subsidies so dramatically, take so much money out that literally uh, health care will become affordable uh, to, to, to low-income seniors who are not let Medicare eligible? pre-existing condition discrimination down the line. Ask him about all those things uh, and ask him why he wants to, uh, to, to completely uh, disadvantage the rural areas of the state that rely more on Badger Care and more on the uh, Affordable Care Act health exchanges to get health insurance. And the reason that is there are fewer employers that provide health insurance in those areas. So why does he want to, uh, when they voted heavily for uh, Trump and Johnson, want to undercut their health care? Yeah, look, it's one one has to you scratch your head when you think why would they continue to push through when they're going to fail on this you know if if that's if that is the end again this gets back to the the what what they've run on against obamacare for just for years right for 8 6 8 years however long it's it's been around they've been feeding their base this so they're in this situation where while that bill may only have 21% favorability that that's their base, right? And their base is so revved up on this that it's why probably Senator Johnson's staffer was saying that they have to go through this. They have to almost sort of like walk the plank, jump off the ship, and hope they can jump back on uh, because th this, this is wildly unpopular. It, do it doesn't seem very strategic, though, especially if, the, if your goal is to move into major tax reform after this. This doesn't seem like a real positive way to go, go into it, especially since now you have Trump basically... <laughs> calling out the entire house uh i, I just matt they need the money for uh, the tax cuts uh, i so get it that's why it makes sense this is amazing though really when you think about it right that they have so much political control uh you know having congress and and a president like this and they they, they cannot get this through after all this and, and it's been well, so i think up. people need to be really careful they might well ram something through before the july there's a r real alarm bells being sounded uh, by our national allies and we need to be calling and we're going to be announcing more more protests and other actions because they're trying to do it in the dark at night and people the public is distracted they're not as focused on it as they were during the house process so let's we can marvel at how hard it's been but I, and I don't trust the Freedom Caucus to block it at the House side. They just ram it through and take the money because the main goal here is to fund gigantic new tax break for the wealthiest Americans and to do it by taking away people's health care. It's that simple. Well, it will be fascinating if the Senate actually does get this through, Robert. It goes back to the House, given the um, the hugs and kisses that went on this week. Um, again, one one other thing I want to point out, healthcare related this week, um, the Wisconsin Council on Children and Families released some data this uh, week showing that Wisconsin now ranks 28th among states for children's health. Uh, we used to be one of the leaders in this area, and uh, they're very clear uh, that the, these th this dropping in the ranking is related to Walker's uh, the way he rejected taking the expanded Medicaid and, and, and the way we've implemented the Affordable Care Act in the state. And I especially enjoyed, I, I say enjoy in quotes, air quotes, uh, the response from Brett Healy, the head of the McIver Institute, known as McGruber Institute on this, uh, on, on Battleground Wisconsin, uh, who responded that, uh, that 
Wisconsin Catch Children families is all wrong to believe that more government money or more government spending or poverty programs is the solution. And he says the, pro the solution is uh, good jobs that include health benefits. So we're struggling to know how the McIver Institute, the far right agenda, would deliver any of that. Uh, since they're some of the major advocates of the low-wage economy brought to us by Governor Walker. But anyway, that is, that is the MacGruber response. I'm also, we're going to have a link on the podcast to a, a really good NPR story about the Medicaid cuts in Wisconsin and, and, and what that would do, particularly to a lot of folks in, you know, with disabilities. Um, and and it's, so there's a very... It's an excellent story that that lays that out and how detrimental this would be. Robert, you already mentioned its impact on uh, rural areas of the state, particularly uh, the Sean Duffy district is one of the areas that's going to get pounded worse. Uh, so again, folks, please get out, contact Senator Johnson. One other thing before we go to break that I want to remind everybody, we had on last week uh, our new organizer, Katie, uh, who is leading our Healthcare for All organizing cooperative, and that is launching this week on Thursday. But if you are interested, we really want you to join the healthcare cooperative. Check the link on our site and get involved and help us not only uh, resist Trump care, but start to plan and lay out the future. Matt, before we go to break, um, wasn't wasn't the Donald, wasn't President Cheeto here just oh this week? Oh my gosh, I forgot all about the Cheeto visit. Yes. Yes. He was meeting with Obamacare victims, another air oh quote. My God. Well, you know, I got stuck in traffic trying to go somewhere when his motorcade came from Waukesha to downtown Milwaukee to uh, fundraise for the governor. $1,000 a plate. 10000 a click. Oh. I thought. Just, just I, maybe there. I'm wrong, but it was, it was a pricey photo. And, and also, not only did we get Trump, uh, his <sighs> VP Pence uh, had, was in town. Did. And in particular, Pence was really pushing the health care, the affordable, uh, the, the He was repeal. here for Pride Fest. Oh, yes. That, <laughs> by the way, I did enjoy that sort of rumor going around. That No, that was first actually, that was ridiculous. <laughs> it actually caused a lot of problems. Pence was going to come to Pride Fest, right? Like, that seemed the most ridiculous thing like that would ever happen. But Yeah, and the people who were actually pushing that caused us a lot of um, consternation because we got a lot of phone calls, so it was um, not appreciated. Yeah, I, I, I can only imagine that people would not be happy to think that uh, Pence was was uh, going to visit Someone Pride who Fest. who I believe has, uh, has argued in the past that there's, there are cures, so to speak. Yeah, so yeah, I'm yeah, sure yeah. that would have been very welcome. Yeah, would have gone and well. welcoming, too. Oh, good. Well, you know what? We would have welcomed him with open arms. Mm -hmm. But I do want to say, as I mentioned about our Healthcare for All organizing cooperative, um, they had a great uh, media event uh, when Pence showed up on Saturday, a lot of healthcare uh, providers, doctors, consumers, had to really push back against the narrative that Pence was pushing. Um, so again, shout out to our new healthcare organizing cooperative, and I do want to again encourage you to consider joining. So with that, we got to get out of here. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. Again, we're Citizen Action. You can reach us at citizenactionwi.org. So we are going to change gears a little bit, and we are going to talk about the Constitutional Convention. Con-Con. Con-Con. Yes, Con-Con. It is and, a con. <laughs> all right. We're off to a good start here. Uh, well, we have a special guest to 
help us uh, with this discussion, and that is Matthew Rothschild. Matthew is the executive director at the Wisconsin Democracy Campaign. Matt, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. It's always fun to be on with you. Yeah, well, we love having you, and I think our listeners like listening to you. So, Matt, tell us a little bit for our listeners who are a little behind on ConCon and what it is, but also what we should be so concerned about. And about our new founding fathers that are about to be impaneled. Uh, Robert's off and running. Well, this is called the Article 5 Constitutional Convention, and Article 5 is the article in the U.S. Constitution that gives two routes to amending the Constitution. One is the traditional one, which we've always used. After the Bill of Rights, we've had 17 amendments that went to Congress first, getting two-thirds of a vote, and then to all the states getting three-quarters. That's route number one. Route number two is what these jokers want to do now, which is to go to the states first and get two Uh, thirds of the states to call a constitutional convention, and then three-quarters of the states would have to to ratify it. Um, The problem is twofold here in Wisconsin with this bill that just passed the Assembly this week uh, by a margin of 54 to 41. There are two problems with it, or three. One is the overall problem with going this second route to amend the Constitution is it's extremely dangerous because uh, it, it could be a runaway train. Uh, once you gather to change the Constitution at a constitutional convention, even if you're gathering on one specific thing, which they are, which is the balanced budget amendment, which I'll get to, once you gather, you know, you can throw out everything. You can throw out the Constitution and start from scratch. That's what happened after all. The only other time we did that, which was in 1787, everything went out the window. And if everything goes out the window now, that could mean some of our basic liberties enshrined in the Bill of Rights and the 17 other amendments could go the wayside. And, Matt, this time it won't be James Madison and Alexander Hamilton right, rewriting the fundamental law. No, it, it wouldn't be. I mean, the, the people who are writing it would be uh, a lot less <laughs> wise, and, but it's not like the Constitution can't be amended. I mean, you know, they had, you know, three-fifths of a man in there, and women couldn't vote, and uh, white, propertyless males couldn't even vote. So uh, it's not like the, I think the document is so precious that we can never amend it. My problem is the way they want to amend it. Uh, number one, through this constitutional convention, which is a runaway train with our rights strapped to the railroad tracks. The other problem is uh, is that the Republicans here in Wisconsin and around the country want to have this constitutional convention for one specific reason, ostensibly, and that is to, uh, to pass a balanced budget amendment, which is absolute economic idiocy. Because the only way, if our economy is going uh, into a recession, uh, to get the economy going again, the standard medicine is to do deficit spending. If we had a balanced budget amendment during uh, the Great Depression, we never would have gotten out of the Great Depression. We never would have won the Second World War. And if we had this amendment when the Great Recession happened, we'd be in a Great Depression right now. I mean, it's as though, you know, the economy has cancer, and these guys don't want the economy to get radiation or chemotherapy. Uh, they just are, uh, it, it would be legislative malpractice here to so- pass this balanced budget amendment. But uh, it's going. The third problem I have with it here in Wisconsin, and this is kind of funny, it just shows you uh, how partisan these guys are. Uh, the original bill uh, said there would be seven representatives from Wisconsin at the Constitutional Convention. 
Uh, all seven would be appointed by leading Republicans, including Walker and Voss and Richard Roth, the president of the uh, Senate, all Republicans. When this was brought to their attention as being uh, an unrepresentative and undemocratic small D way of uh, representing the people of Wisconsin, they threw a bone out there and said, well, Democratic leaders can have two of the nine appointees to our delegates to the Constitutional Convention. So it would still be an unrepresentative delegate slate tilted dramatically toward Republicans uh, representing all the people of Wisconsin at a Constitutional Convention. And they could appoint themselves so Scott Walker could make himself a founding father, right? Absolutely. Walker and Voss. Right. Uh, and, <laughs> and, and then on the balanced budget part, I mean, you mentioned how idiotic it is. I mean... It doesn't allow you to make investments, so they love to very uh, misleadingly compare the federal budget to a household budget, but if it, even if you took that analogy, it means you couldn't go to college, no student loans, couldn't buy a house, no mortgages, right? I mean, it's, it's crazy even if you looked at a personal budget, let alone a city budget or anything else, any big investment we make, we, you don't pay for it all at once uh, with cash on hand. Yeah, it's crazy. It's cruel because if there were a recession and this was in place, you couldn't, you know, expand unemployment insurance or food stamps or things like that that people really need if unemployment is going through the roof. And uh, it's a, it's designed. Let's let's figure out where this is coming from. I was just at, at the website of ALEC, the American Legislative Exchange Council, which is this group of right-wing legislators and businesses that gather in private to come up with so-called model bills that they then send back to legislators that legislatures that are dominated by Republicans and, and ram the suckers through. And this has been a big thing for ALEC. In fact, there is a, on ALEC's webpage, there's a Article 5 handbook that goes through all the ways you need, all the hurdles you need to jump to get this thing through. And so this has been uh, something that the Koch brothers and the American Legislative Exchange Council have been pushing. And one of the reasons they're pushing it is they want to destroy government's ability to regulate business. That's really what is at bottom here. So if they tie the purse strings of the, of the Congress, they're not going to be able to fund the EPA. They're not going to be able to fund OSHA. They're not going to be able to do the watchdog work that's necessary to uh, help citizens when corporations are preying on them. And so that, that really is what's at bottom here, despite all the highfalutin rhetoric here out of Speaker Voss's mouth. So, Matt, thanks so much for joining us. I now have this image of Wisconsin Republicans wearing powdered wigs, making decisions about our Constitution, um, which is, you know, I mean, Walker could use a wig, but... In all seriousness, um, <laughs> just waiting. I've been waiting for that waiting for a long for time. I can't help myself. <laughs> um, so, but but more importantly, obviously, there's some dramatic implications if we're opening up the Constitution just on this balanced budget um, concept. But what are some of the other? We've talked a little bit on this show. There, there are a lot of other dangers as well because let's be honest, these at least our legislators that would be headed out to this convention uh, can't be trusted except for our two Democrats to not do other dastardly things as they've wrecked havoc across the state of Wisconsin. What are the other sort of dangers that you see? Well, I mean, it, it's interesting to contemplate or horrifying to contemplate, Jonah, what they could be doing out there. They could uh, outlaw abortion. They could outlaw gay marriage. 
they could uh, a law affirmative action. They could do all sorts of things that would get at uh, some of the things that we take for granted right now in this country. Uh, it's interesting. The, the right wing, though, is kind of divided on this because there are even some gun groups that are worried that, uh, well, the Second Amendment may even be up for grabs if the thing goes in a crazy direction. I don't see that happening because I see mostly Republican-dominated legislatures calling for this, and they're all about the Second Amendment. But there are groups out there that understand the risks of a runaway convention, and they're really all across the board. Yeah, and the reason that's true, Matt, it seems incredible to people, but I want to make it clear that you are you're, you're, you're not giving some crazy scenario like you'd get from Trump land or, land or Infowars, that literally in 18th century kind of political philosophy that was but found that was behind our constitution a constitutional convention is it is is something that frames higher law and it's above regular law so they really do have no there is really no way to constrain them it's higher than congress higher than the supreme court higher than the president and so there is no way to constrain this and that's why it's so dangerous yeah and it's getting close i mean let's not kid ourselves it takes 34 states to call a constitutional convention. 27 states are already on board. Wisconsin would make it 28. There are other states that are dominated by Republicans that could push it over the top. And so this is, uh, it's not some hypothetical anymore. It's not just a, a pipe dream or a fantasy of Alec. This is, this is moving very far uh, down the road toward happening. And I think, you know, American public's going to wake up one day and holy smokes, there's going to be a constitutional convention, and everything's going to be on the chopping block if uh, if wiser or cooler heads don't prevail. And I hate to say that Scott Fitzgerald may have a wiser or cooler head, but uh, <laughs> at this point in the state Senate, he's not hot to trot over this thing, so maybe it'll stop in the, in the Wisconsin Senate. Walker sure is in favor of it. So... Matt, you bring you br- bring up the the Senate. So this passed the Assembly. It looks like it it lost a couple of Republicans. If I did the vote count, I you, you mentioned forty one, uh, but it, this is now headed to the Senate. Any sense on the timeline? And then obviously we need our our listeners to call their senators and and oppose this. It sounds like uh, there is room for that to possibly happen, where the Senate may not take this up or pass it. Uh, your thoughts on that before you go? Yeah. I'll- you know, Senator Fitzgerald could just stop it from uh, getting to a vote, and, and I'm hoping he's going to do that. So I would encourage listeners to contact Senator Fitzgerald's office uh, and tell him you don't want this constitutional convention. Uh, he's the key player in all this. Well, Matt, we want to thank you for joining us. And again, we really appreciate the work you and your organization do over at Wisconsin Democracy Campaign. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Anytime. Okay, great. So welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. Again, we're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. We are going to change gears a little bit. And uh, we have talked a lot about the economy and the struggle in the economy right now with creating good jobs and actually trying to create opportunity for everyone and um, the, the need for our state to be much more forward-looking and, and think about new ways that we can go about uh, doing our business. and. To that end, we have a special guest with us, uh, Roxanne Tynan, who is the executive director of Lane, which is the Los Angeles, shoot, sorry, is the Los Angeles Alliance for a New Economy. 
Uh, Roxanne, tell us, a t well, first of all, welcome. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. So you are here in Wisconsin today uh, talking with uh, our folks about our organizing cooperatives, but we wanted to talk to you a little bit about Lane and what Lane does, particularly around economic development in Los Angeles and what lessons might there be at Lane for us in Wisconsin as we look forward to what we ought to be doing to lay out a progressive vision for the future. Sure, that's great. And and I'm sure, I mean, clearly our visit here shows us how much we have to learn from you guys. So we're really thrilled to be in lovely Milwaukee. Um, I guess the first thing I'd say is we start at Lane by thinking about the power of government and many of our elected leaders underestimate their own power to impact the economy and I think large corporations would really like them to underestimate their power to impact the economy. You know, we want to have a, an economy that is aimed at serving the people who participate in it rather than the other way around and we want to make sure that we've got smart regulations that are promoting the kind of growth we want to see um, in, in environmentally sustainable industries, in industries providing good jobs, um, and rather than a kind of low road approach to life. So we started as an organization looking at the kinds of economic development subsidies that often go into like shopping malls and retail projects. And uh, or convention centers, right? Or like a arena, arena. Oh, right, yeah. heaven forbid! Yes. yes. Um, and for folks who are interested in arenas, the, the there's an old standby field of schemes which folks may have heard of. A great book about mm -hmm. the failure of those projects to really support healthy economic development and the failure to promote local business growth. Um, so. We, we took a good look at a bunch of those projects in Los Angeles in uh, the 90s and felt like our public dollars were going into private projects without any measurable benefits coming back. Pretty low-wage uh, jobs and uh, not promoting local businesses and not really taking into account the impact on local communities. Um, so... We worked with a bunch of allies to develop this idea of a community benefits agreement attached to those subsidies. And we're able to win on a number of big projects, including our own um, arena, um, together with a whole bunch of organizations and unions, a set of requirements around high-quality jobs for the hotel that was being built, jobs within the arena, local hiring, training, money for parks, um, money for the local neighborhood to deal with parking impacts. And that's great. And I think that approach is really important, and particularly with the major, major economic development projects that are the shiny toy waved in front of local decision makers. In my view, that's not the really progressive, mm -hmm. that sort of mitigating the kind of investment that we don't think is that great, as opposed to really putting forward a progressive agenda of what we'd like to see. So part of it is it's our money. Right. And our leverage, the authority of local government involved, and if left to its own devices, the decisions are made by developers who That's want right. a quick buck, 
by end use employers that clearly are fine paying poverty wages. We're right. In, in United Nationally in Wisconsin, mostly creating poverty wage jobs. So it's partly conditioning those, but you're saying even further than that, a real economic strategy would involve thinking about what would be the best investment. That's because, right. And so it's not just standards on what's going to happen anyway. It's actually we the people taking charge on what is really in the public benefit, especially in an age where uh, good family supporting jobs are are, are in such are declining and are in That's such right. shortage. That's right. Absolutely. Um, so it's really important to be pushing our leaders to think about what are the growth industries and what do we think about those industries? How do they impact community? What kind of jobs do they create? Are they labor intensive? Right? Exactly. So how can we support, if it's healthcare, great. Mm -hmm. Even tourism, those jobs are not naturally bad jobs. They're only bad if they're not organized and when workers don't have yeah. power. Manufacturing jobs used to be bad jobs exactly. 100 years ago. Now exactly. we think they're naturally good and and service sectors naturally bad it's just not the case it's what we do right? absolutely there's nothing natural about the economy right it's a yeah. set of rules in a game and we just need to understand that game better so that we can ensure the outcomes benefit us but yes definitely thinking about what's out there what's growing and where we have leverage to set the kind of standards that will ensure healthy growth um, and then thinking, too, about all of the things government spends money on. You know, infrastructure is the kind of development that benefits everybody, benefits businesses. If goods and movement move faster, better, more efficiently, if roads work, if airports work, those kinds of investments can benefit a whole array, array of businesses and, with the right act activism and leadership provide good jobs at the same time. So thinking about those things, thinking about all the goods and services that government buys. Have we set standards on government contracting? Are we thinking about the rail cars and buses that our transit agencies buy? You know, there are a lot of points at which we could have a big impact in using government dollars to ensure good outcomes. So you hear a lot uh, even in areas like Milwaukee, where this movement is far less developed around clusters, that somehow you're going to succeed economically if you inv if you take public money and invest in a particular industry that's already strong for the region. And the, the big one here has been the water cluster, because we're near water. And in fact, since you're visiting, we fresh can take water. you on a tour of the Freshwater Business <laughs> Park and water Global Water Technology Center down here, which has gotten also the public money. It's right behind where we are at Citizen Action in Wisconsin. Uh, uh, the head of the cluster told me that they don't even count how many jobs they're creating, let alone <laughs> they're good jobs. So right. you talk a little about that. Uh-huh. Absolutely. I mean, I think that's a problem in in local government throughout the country that there's been this kind of write the check and cross your fingers as right. opposed to having any kind of follow-up or accountability um, Greg Leroy at uh, Good Jobs First has done a great job at kind of helping teach a lot of us to track where the money goes and to try and force the kind of accountability that tells us whether any of those dollars resulted in a single good job for a single local resident. Yeah. yeah. And so I, I guess uh, obviously here in Wisconsin, we're a bit constrained, right, politically, but... <laughs> A lot. Just a bit. <laughs> Just a bit. I mean, so it is worth noting that we here in Wisconsin did learn from Lane and worked on a community benefits agreement. So where the Bucks Arena actually got built, 
did have a community benefits agreement, and there are some right. standards there. It's, it's uneven, but a number of the things that we passed were actually taken away by our governor. They were, uh-huh. um, what do you call it again, where you exist? Preemption. Uh, preemption of uh, mm-hmm. local control. Um, but there are still a number of the tools that you're talking about that any of our local communities, whether you're in Eau Claire or Green Bay or Madison or Milwaukee, where we have you know, some more maybe enlightened leadership that we could actually use some of these tools that you're using in Los Angeles right. to change the, bring equity and fairness in our, right. our, our economies. And sustainability. Yep. Right. I mean, in that sense, you know, when local government is investing dollars in individual projects, there should be real power at the local level. Also land use, right? Yep. Developers love density bonuses. The idea that I get to build instead of two stories, 10 stories, and I'm going to have this enormous, that's, that's adding, that's rubbing a ton of money onto the land. And so what does the public get back in return for enriching the property owner? So land use decisions are harder to preempt. And that's a real power that local decision makers have over what to allow to be built. Well, unfortunately, our time is short. We really appreciate the fact that you came from Los Angeles to help us learn here in Wisconsin. Um, and we hope to be able to apply a number of the things that Lane has been doing in the future uh, here here in Milwaukee and other parts of the state. So we really appreciate you taking the time to join us today. Thanks for having me. Right and, back at you. And we will have a link to Lane's website on our uh, page. So please go check it out. They are a phenomenal organization. And I think all of us have a lot to learn from what they're doing roadmap out of where we are we'll, here we'll in Wisconsin. We'll send a link to WEDAC, Governor Walker's job. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure they'll be less interested in it. So, <laughs> Roxanne, thank you very much for joining us. Not at all. So with that, we have to wrap up this week's Battleground Wisconsin. We want to thank our producer, Brian Wooldridge, who makes it happen every week. We can't do it without him. And, of course, we want to thank Roxanne for joining us and Matt Rothschild from Wisconsin Democracy Campaign. We will see you next week here at the Battleground Wisconsin. Battleground Wisconsin.